everyone. I'm Jordan Henderson, and welcome to the RevOps Podcast. I'm joined today by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Hey, guys. What's up, guys? This week, we're going to be talking about cold outreach. Now, this is near and dear to me as somebody who has managed sales teams for quite a long time, and so really curious about your guys' insights. As always, neither one of you is going to be prepared, but who wants to define cold outreach for me? Outreaching cold. <laughs> Nailed it. I mean, Nailed it. I mean, you're not wrong, but does anyone want to try like a real effort? Like put in some solid thought into that. Yeah, Making, when you're I don't know, go ahead. You, no, you you started. I go gotta ahead. I gotta redeem myself on that one. Go ahead. It's yeah. when you're making an attempt to get in contact with someone, aka a prospect, and you are reaching out to them without having any prior communication. It's a pretty solid definition. It's pretty Boom. solid. It's your it's your best work so far. I mean, <laughs> I Brandon, Brandon, we're talking low hanging fruit here, but yes, it is your best work <laughs> so far. So I, I have cold outreach is contacting potential customers in your ICP, preferably via phone, email, social media, carrier pigeon, whatever, to see if they have a problem that you can help them solve with your product. And I think all of that is very important when talking about cold outreach, specifically the ICP piece, right? We don't want to just be doing cold outreach to anybody. It needs to be to people that you actually think might have a problem that you could solve for them and that you're a fit for their product. So we all agree. Solid definition. Good to go. Solid definition. Solid definition. All right. So why do it? Let's start there. Anybody? Give me, give me a, why would you do cold outreach? Because you want to make money. (laughs) <laughs> you got a number to hit. You need some people to talk to. Let's go start yeah. blasting people. I mean, it's to- totally fair, right? Like, let- let's. We need somebody to talk to. We need opportunities. We need deals. Like, we need those things. It's. But I guess my my counterpoint and the reason I even asked that question because twenty years ago, if you'd asked that question, people would be like, "Well, because you want to make money, right?" But like <laughs> now, you could theoretically, and there are businesses that run on the idea of we bring all of our leads in through marketing. We don't do cold outreach. It's all marketing generated. It's purely coming from that and upsells. And that's that's a strategy. So why in 2021, when you can have 17 different marketing avenues and all sorts of crazy stuff, would you still do cold outreach? Because the personal touch is important. Totally. It's especially if you have a list of target accounts, right? Like a, a big challenge for inbound is like you just kind of get what you get. With, with outbound, you actually choose who you actually want to go after. And usually that's a targeted list. Like you said, someone in your ICP. So I don't want just anyone. I want the people who are in my ICP who have a high propensity to buy. So yeah. let, me, let me find those exact people. Let me reach out to them. And then, of course, technology is making that easier. You can layer things on top of that, like intent data or you know, third-party engagement data, anything like that. Um, but... To, yes, totally. It's 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 essentially it's just an additional avenue for pipeline generation against your target audience. Yeah, that, exactly. think, think think of it as another arm, right? And and in addition to that, like in especially in comparison to other avenues, it's low to no cost because you already have the salespeople most of the time, right? Like yep. you, even if you're only going marketing, you have salespeople and they have time to make some cold calls and do some cold outreach. So it's essentially a you know a no cost pipeline generation avenue and fun stat from the ring dna statistics 69 percent of buyers have accepted a meeting from cold outreach in the past year 69 percent so so it's effective 70 like 70 percent is pretty solid number like that's that's a lot of buyers that are taking meetings seven out of ten that's that's huge so cold outreach can also be an effective no-cost strategy yep i think as the channels have evolved too it's becoming 
easier to try to get in front of somebody where they want you to get in front of them as opposed to, you know, some people don't like getting calls. So, you know, try a follow up email or try a LinkedIn message. You know, there's a lot of different avenues you can get in front of people. Whereas before it was strictly phone calls. Yeah. And before, before it was like, yeah, 1990s, 2000s, it was calling office phones and, and yeah. trying to get to the right, trying to convince, convince whoever was answering like, Hey, I need to speak to Bill. And they're like, who are you? And you're like, yeah, I'm just a Bill's friend from a long time ago. Like, <laughs> let, me, let me talk to Bill. Just put him um, on the but, phone. <laughs> but now, but now you're right. Like you can, you, you can essentially as a part of revenue operations, you can meet the buyer where they want to be met. Because maybe they don't want to go to your website, but maybe they do want you to meet them on LinkedIn. Maybe they do want you to land in their inbox, right? Like it's it's just giving you those avenues to find out where they want to be met, and and you're there, which is which is super important. Um, so let me ask you guys this: so seventy percent of buyers have accepted a meeting from Cold Outreach in the past year. Have either of you ever accepted a meeting from Cold Outreach? Ooh, that's a good question. I I I, I have. I definitely have. Okay, Wait, tell it's, us it's, about it. I mean, it's, so in order to get my attention, usually it's two things. Well, okay. Yeah, two things to get my attention. One, show me that you did some research on me and that you're not just reaching out to me because you have a number to hit. Um, yeah, I, I think we talked about this on one of the early podcasts. Like, I, I, got a, I got a few things that are in my LinkedIn that are not in most people's LinkedIn. I mean, it's a joke, but if you hit me with one of those, it tells me you actually dug into my LinkedIn a little bit. But then the Wasn't second it, part... Wait, wait, wait. We got we to circle back. Wasn't it something to do with, like, swimming? Underwater well, basket well, weaving. Underwater, underwater basket, basket weaving. weaving. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Wait, you have to tell the story again for anybody who missed whatever. That was like <laughs> yeah. episode two or three. You need, yeah, you need early. to refresh this. Yeah, I do underwater basket. No, no, that was, a, that was a complete joke. It was, I mean, I went to the University of Colorado. There's this tiny little school that is right next to our campus. That is a, it's a liberal arts school. There's a bunch of hippies there and they, they have the most obscure freaking majors. And one of the majors that we saw was underwater basket weaving that someone just made up. So it's just a running joke of my graduate graduating class that what would you graduate in underwater basket weaving <laughs> nice i Just love pure it pure poke at, at naropa university <laughs> you need to call him out by name <laughs> hey, hey, poor, <laughs> poor naropa naropa university wow um, all right so so personalization though so so if people re- actually reached out to you and said underwater basket weaving Yes. So they, and then I, I've, I've responded to some people like, great, love the outreach, keep it up. I'm not interested right now, right? Like a, a no is the second best answer. Hmm. But in yeah. order for me to go, yes, I'm actually interested, it, it's usually got to be something that I'm in the market in for right now or pretty soon. Like yeah. if I'm not, like if, if, if it's the perfect cold outreach, you have the, the perfect uh, value proposition for me, but I'm just not in market. There's no way I'm taking that meeting. It, yeah. I, I don't even, I don't care. Off Marie, a hundred dollar Amazon gift card for the meeting. Ah, I don't know. I'm still not going to yeah. take it. Yeah. A lot of times <laughs> for me though, like I'll get that email and then I'll be like, oh, it's intriguing, but you know, thanks, no thanks. And then three months down the line, we have a use case pop up and I'm like, oh yeah. And then I'll reach back out that way. So it's maybe true. it won't work immediately, but eventually it gets me. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's called product marketing, essentially. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 no, um, I, I actually want to circle back to something Brandon said that no is the second best answer. And it's actually one of the points of cold outreach, right? Like if, if I'm having yeah. my sales team call people and somebody at this company says, hey, listen, 
we're not interested whatsoever. Cool, I can disqualify them out of my system, and now my marketing team doesn't have to spend money on the ABM campaign that they were launching, and that company was included, right? So we're saving we're we're saving the company money and using that ad spend elsewhere and spending our time elsewhere because we got no as an answer, which is equally as valuable in a lot of ways to to a yes to setting mm-hmm. up an opportunity, right? Like you are actually helping the company identify, you know, who who is actually in your ICP and ready to buy, which is which is super super valuable. Right now, you don't have to spend more time or energy, more effort chasing someone who you know is not in market. So mm-hmm. I think yeah, no is extremely valuable, and that's why I, as someone who gets a lot of emails, I I, I do for those people. I like to just tell them no. Yeah, and then if they continue to follow up, but have you heard? Or, but, I was like, Jesus Christ! Okay, now I'm going to video. Spam. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, let me I, try. I, to yeah, divide. yeah, yeah. And I totally like. I, the, so I mean, two things. Like thousand percent. Anybody listening, people are going to do cold outreach. Don't be a dick. Like that's rule totally. number one. Ex- be a professional, exactly. right? Like, say yep. if you're not interested, say no. It takes two seconds. It'll get them off of your radar. It, it, it's just a nice thing to do, it, and treat them like a human being while you're doing it, right? Don't be a dick. It's just a rule for yeah. life. It's the rule of the RevOps podcast. <laughs> don't be a yeah. dick. Don't be <laughs> a dick. Taking a hint. I think sometimes, like if I don't answer after four phone calls, try another method. Right, I'm not well, pick and up that's a cold and that's call. that's that's the other piece, right? Like if you're a seller and and they've said no and they've made it clear and they've been polite about it, just because they're polite doesn't mean keep pestering them, keep cold calling them, keep emailing them weekly. Like, sure, put them on a generic marketing drip campaign that emails them once a month. Absolutely, do that. But like, take your foot off the gas. They've been polite. They've said no. You know how you create people that don't respond or are rude when they respond? It's by not letting up when they respond no. Because they get sick of it, and then they're rude, and that and that's that's the thing for salespeople to learn too, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you gotta you gotta stop once in a while too, and and actually you're just wasting your own time. You're, mm-hmm. you're burning you're burning a bridge and wasting time when you could target somebody that actually might be interested, which is super way more valuable, right? True, and I think that could be partly why there's such a flaw in a lot of the companies that go after like you've got to hit X number of dials, so you've got reps just dialing away without right. regard for anything, right? And I, 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 got, I got no, you know, like I'm calling into a hundred person company and somebody calls me and I tell them no. So they call Jonathan on the marketing ops side. They're like, what about you? Like, like, well, Jonathan, even if Jonathan's like, you know, maybe I'm interested. Like, hey, Jordan. I'm like, no. Like, what are you talking about? We're not doing that. I already told him no. Like, it's, like people at companies talk to each other, right? If, some, that, if, that, if a leader yeah, that annoys said no. more than anything. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, you, I said no. So you emailed my colleague. Come on. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, Cool. So let me ask you guys this. Have you ever done cold outreach? Mm-hmm. Brandon, you of can't course. just nod yes. People can't <laughs> see your face. <laughs> we don't it, have was a, it was a slow nod, too. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did that cold outreach. All right. Tell me a cold outreach story. Somebody. Brandon, you probably have more stories than I do. Yeah. Uh, well, just being, just being, uh, I mean, starting my career off early, again, as in in sales, uh, specifically sales development. Um, yeah, we had to do a ton of cold outreach. And for us, it was, it was made, well, it was cold calling, cold emailing. And um, we, we were more on LinkedIn or uh, Facebook than LinkedIn. Um, and because, you know, Facebook communities Face, were big. Facebook. I, I remember <laughs> like, even five or six years ago, people were prospecting on Facebook. It was crazy. Totally. 
Yeah, and communities were bigger, or, or not uh, groups. Groups on Facebook yeah. were a lot mm-hmm. bigger back then, um, and you had professional groups. Like you know, um, I was selling into health and wellness professionals, uh, health and wellness programs, coaching, fitness programs, that sort of mm. thing, nutrition programs. Um, so yeah, a lot of people were hanging out online, um, talking to other health coaches, other chiropractors, other practitioners, and then yeah, I, I actually even created a, uh, I mean not not fake account, but like. A Facebook account for my work. And then I would go into those groups and I would, you know, try to chime in, say something interesting. Uh, and then if someone hinted that they were interested in just learning more about health, nu- nutrition, wellness, yeah, I'd reach out to them cold. And that could have been either, um, you know, getting their info and dialing them. But most of the time it was Facebook message. And then, of course, we did have our lead list from our CRM that we had to call down and email. Um, and, yeah, like the, the, the ones that were most effective is when you personalize it, right? It's, and also I would say it's, it's not selling hard up front either. Hey, I saw you said this in the group thread here. Can I interest you in buying one of our programs? That's annoying. It's like build the relationship. Do you want to buy this thing? Hey, hey, do you want to buy a thing? Exactly. Don't just show up. Yeah, Yeah, as I say, show up and throw up. No. Relationship is key to that. Like, in my experience, like, the biggest sales I made, I didn't make a ton. I did it very (laughs) briefly. (laughs) And now while you're in marketing ops. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just developing that relationship, you're almost, you almost become friends in a way. And like, it's really cool. And I've been on the other side of that where like, I've had my AEs and and my support system at other companies kind of just become friends. And and that's kind of the relationship you're going after. And I know it can feel forced. It can feel fake at times, but when it happens like that, it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, When I, when I first, my first year of law school, which is super weird, I I took a job as a law clerk at a disability law firm. And the, um, the law clerk job there was, it was 20 hours a week. And the, the five hours of it was writing briefs and 15 hours of it was cold calling prospects. Mm. Like, and I, and I had no idea, right. It was actually a pretty good law clerk job because they paid pretty well and most law clerks don't get paid. So I actually stayed there for quite a long time, but, but the expectation was if you did an eight hour shift was 250 cold calls and so we we had uh and we had the like the number pad dialer and a headset and you just went through a written list that they wrote down for you and called those numbers (laughs) and how old are you what? Uh, it's law. It's legal, man. So they're still in the 1960s. Like I'm pretty sure they're still doing it that way. Um, Jesus. But 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 to your point, like yeah, you you had to develop some rapport and relationship pretty yeah. fast, right? Because this mm-hmm. wasn't just like, hey, can you buy this thing? It's it's like, hey, I want to get to know you. Hey, like, do you have a problem that I can actually help you solve? Like, do you have a legal issue that we can help you solve? Because we were selling legal services, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That's. But like, you had to get to know them, especially in legal. You had to get them to know them well enough that they trusted you to talk about this issue that was obviously pretty near and dear to them so so pretty crazy way to like actually get into sales but that was essentially you know my first sales job was selling legal services which is pretty crazy yeah you kind of have to make sure they like you because like i'm not going to buy something from you if i don't like you as a person like that's just kind of 
being a, a person, you know, so yeah, right. <laughs> totally. like, I want to, I want to work with somebody else. Like your product's really cool, but you're terrible. I want to talk yeah. to somebody else over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. So, so, um, it, it's super interesting to me that you both have done cold outreach and now you're in marketing, you know, product marketing and marketing operations respectively. So, so you have some sort of lens on what cold outreach looks like, at, at least what it did, you know, years ago when you guys did that. So let me ask Brandon, maybe, maybe you can start as a product marketer, why is cold outreach valuable to you? Good question. So I, I think, um, I mean, we've kind of talked about this a few times before, but I, I, I love to hear from our SDR team what's working and what's not, what's resonating with them, what's not. So content falls under me too, like, and that, that's all the top of funnel uh, content as well. So anything from like, what's the content that people are interested in most? What's the content that they're responding to? Even if it's, you know, someone downloaded something and then now we're following up. So someone might call that warm. Someone might call that just an inbound follow-up. Um, mm-hmm. But that that sort of uh, information is very valuable to me. And then also, too, just the, the value propositions, the propositions that we, the, the messaging that we give to the team. Is that landing? And do I need to revisit that? Um, value propositions for different products. How's that landing? with, with uh, our, our prospects. Um, and then also, who are they talking to the most, mm. right? Like what, what titles Sharp, sharpens, actually, sharp, sharpens your ICP, like who you're targeting, right? Th- th- exactly, exactly. So, so for me, sales and sales development, it's, it's still just that, that feedback loop that helps me deliver a better message. And then, then I can take that, uh, that language and use it on basically every other aspect of marketing too. So not just those emails, but uh, th- the website, the ads, everything. Yeah, totally makes sense. Do you, do you ever, th- and maybe this is more of a question for Jonathan, actually, I've always actually been curious whether or not cold outreach, because it has a pretty high open rate typically, right? Like cold outreach is mm-hmm. pretty personalized. It has a high open rate. It's highly effective. Does it increase SEO or is it the volume too low? Like, does it increase your email deliverability and your SEO because people are looking you up and people are opening emails or, or does it just not impact that at all? Deliverability, yeah. I don't know. SEO would kind of depend on what you're sending them if you're trying to get them to off to the site and they're clicking onto the site. But SEO would typically be more of a search play, whereas it, deliverability would definitely be impacted if they're opening and, and you've got good subject lines that are creating more opens. I think that's actually a very interesting to go down that route because I don't think SDRs think about deliverability at all, but that's huge. That has huge implications. Yeah, right. Like our data vendor who's providing data for our sales team to reach out to, the, the quality of that data highly impacts our email deliverability on the sales team, which is the same email deliverability as the marketing email. Exactly. Right? And, and exactly. so, so if they're increasing it even by a 1% and you guys are sending out 10,000 emails, that's a whole lot of freaking opens that we're getting mm-hmm. extra because of that. Right. Yeah. Which, which I, I've never really done the, I'm sure somebody's done the logic to look into like how that impacts it, but mm-hmm. I've just it's, always had, always had the question. It's very complex and it's different between Gmail and Yahoo. And like, if you're B2B, it's not as impactful because you're hitting kind of company domains and they might share some uh, span block servers that kind of coordinate so, between so, each other. So that one's really interesting to me, right? Because companies typically have, they're on like one of five spam block lists where like if you're flagged as a spam vendor and you're on that list and they're on that server, then it blocks you forever, right? Mm-hmm. I did a terrible job of explaining that, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but basically like, 
if, but if, and in cold outreach, my cold outreach is targeted enough to get you, Jonathan, to open my email and mark me as non-spam, then your entire organization is now opened up for me to email into because you've marked me as okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you've marked my URL as okay. So in that regard, it could actually help you get into those organizations, right? Yep. Absolutely. And there are other implications too. So if you're using, um, you know, one of the sales engagement platforms out there to batch and blast people, if you send too many of the same emails that look exactly the same, the ISP is going to recognize that and they'll throttle you. Or if you're not doing any throttling and you send 10 of the exact same emails to the same domain, right? If 10 exact same emails go at the exact same time to I, you know, what's what's a, a website that you're trying to, you know, Netflix, if you're trying to break mm-hmm. into them, right, mm-hmm. you, you can actually, that can hurt your sender score. And your yep. overall sender score goes down. And that hurts everyone at your company's ability to get in other people's inboxes. So that like that's why that's why a lot of this stuff is is pretty complex and and a lot of people don't think of that. All they want to do is just, I got a number to hit, let me just batch and blast. So, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a lot that, of implications that, around whether you have an email attachment, whether your email is HTML or plain text. A lot of those things will be impacted. A lot of like, especially financial services. Yeah, totally, they'll be. And it 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 um it also works both ways too, right? One one of the things when I first joined Ring DNA that that we that Jonathan, you and I actually did. It was I think the first project you and I ever worked on was is was our email deliverability. We went through HubSpot mm-hmm. and did like a massive cleanup, made sure that our email deliverability was getting batched into groups to get us higher rates and and actually sending smaller batches to slowly improve our number over a period of months. And one of the reasons that we did that and you and I worked on it together is because our email open rates for the sales team's cold outreach was quite low. And, mm-hmm. and we, we sort of had pinpointed one of the problems is our deliverability is quite low. We're getting a lot of bouncing emails that the sales team is sending that are one-to-one emails, and we shouldn't be getting that. And so our marketing efforts were actually negatively impacting our sales outbound because we weren't targeted on that side either. So both of those two things being positive and clean, super important to impact the other, right? And by the way, that is revenue operations, aligning marketing <laughs> yeah, and sales to those things. That is, that is like a fundamental piece of revenue operations, and that one specifically is a revenue generating fundamental piece, right? Like emails bouncing Mm -hmm. is costing you time and money. It absolutely is. And that was not that hard of a project for you and I to tackle over the period of a couple months, was it? No, not at all. Yeah, and I think the other piece of that on top of it is just having your data right. So making sure when those bounce, you've got something indicated on that so you're not continually trying it. Totally. Thousand percent yes. You're one hundred percent stopping. You're you're being respectful when people unsubscribe. You're doing all those things appropriately because otherwise you're just hurting yourself. Like the the keeping a bad email in your system to to keep spamming is not helpful at all. There's no nope. universe where no. you should do that. Nope. <laughs> no. Um, cool. This is super super interesting. J- Jonathan, did you have anything else as to why cold outreach is valuable? I sort of dumped email deliverability on you. I want to hear what else. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of the points Brandon made were solid. Um, to add to that, thank I think you. Just, appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I feel like I'm getting ganged up on, but we're all agreeing. And I don't know why. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's just really important to build out the decision tree. So a lot of times the reps got to call in and figure out how to get to the right person to to talk to, and like getting the data right, making sure everybody's aware of that decision tree within the account and really making sure that we're not going after the wrong people. So I'd say that's probably the biggest pieces. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, again, it goes back to like sharpening your ICP and your target list, right? Like make, making sure that we're aligned across those things. And, and that's super, super, super important. So let, let's, uh, let me ask you guys this. And actually, I know, Brandon, that you've managed an SDR team, right? Correct me if I'm yep. wrong there. Am I that making that correct. up? That is correct. Cool. That's a fact. I, I try not to make things up, but like sometimes <laughs> it just happens. So <laughs> I couldn't have made up underwater basket weaving though. So, uh, but let me, let's, let's assume some of our listeners are here today and they're like, oh yeah, let's talk about cold outreach because we don't have a cold outreach team at all. We have no cold outreach muscle whatsoever. Any tips that you would give them to building one that actually fits within their revenue operations? Like, how would you build that team? What are the things you'd pay attention to? Any, any like high level tips? I have a few to fill in the gaps, but I want you guys to go first. Yeah. So, so uh, I focused a lot of my time and energy when I was training my team on being able to do the research, but being able to do it very quickly. Like here's a checklist of five things to look for and here's where to find them. And then like you just personalize the first, the first sentence of that email and then the rest is the, the, is the same. And then your second email can be something relatively easy like, hey, just wanted to check in to see if you saw this. But a, a lot of what I was doing um, is just like it's speed. It's how quickly mm. can I find a point of affinity to connect with someone and then send that email out. Because I, I've had like a lot of the reps that don't hit quota that were on my team were spending like 20, 30 minutes doing the research. And it's like, dude, like you got a number to hit and you need to get these out the door in five minutes or less. And if, and if you're not getting that out in five or less, you better hope to God that your email is so <laughs> relevant that they open it and they reply. Like it's a numbers game, right? Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's a balance, right? You don't want to be too yeah, targeted to yeah. where you're only sending two people or 10 emails a day, but you also don't want to be so voluminous, vol- voluminous. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, um, you, <laughs> yeah you don't want to be so voluminous that you're sending 500 emails and they all just say, Hey, here's ring DNA, come buy it. Right. Exactly. Like you, you, it's exactly. somewhere in between where it's personalized, but personalized at scale. Right. Exactly. And, and that's why like, that the metrics are so important. You always got to be looking at your daily activities and your conversion rates and how you're tracking against your, your number for that quarter. Like every day, be looking at your dashboard. How am I doing? How many days left do I have? How am I tracking on my number? Right? Like it, it is, you know, it, it's kind of a math game. And then it's always like, all right, if I improve 5% here and improve 5% of my conversions and improve you know, if I can uh, reach out 5% quicker, all those little 5% add up to be a lot over the quarter. And so I, I'm, I'm always treating my team, how can you be 5% better? That's it on this one thing. Mm-hmm. And if I can continue to work on being 5% better on one thing every single month, then reps are going to be a lot better. So that like sometimes you might, one month you might focus on uh, email subject lines. The next one might be, that first sentence in your first email, the next one might be that second email or the third email, or maybe it's trying to figure out LinkedIn. How can I optimize my process for sending in mails anything like that? Um, but I, I do think a key part of the team that was successful that I managed was just having that checklist of points of affinity and just going down that checklist. How can I go down that as quickly as I can, then write something very relevant and then send that off and then go to the next person, you know? Got it. So let me, so let me summarize this for our listeners and you can tell me if I'm totally off base here, but if you are building a cold op on muscle, your advice to that person would be 
once you have a team in place, make sure you're training them on how to appropriately do the research rapidly. Crafting mm-hmm. quality messaging and having a solid follow-up strategy that includes multiple channels of touch points across LinkedIn, email, phone call, etc. Roughly, roughly what you're getting at? 100%. Yep, exactly. And Look then we can, we can add on like direct mail or some yeah, other totally. fun touch points too, but which counts totally. as outreach yeah. or outbound yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right? You use like postal or Sendoso one of those things do some cool things. Right. But like, yeah, fundamentally yeah. Th- those are three great things to focus on when you're first starting it out by muscle. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that's table six phone, yeah. email and social. That's yeah. those are table and, six. And, and making sure you're training the team on how to do the research and what your ICP looks like and, and how to do that rapidly so that you're, you're getting an appropriate volume while also crafting good messaging. Those are, those are super right. important things. And then testing and tweaking the messaging. You did touch yeah, on that. Exactly. Give you that. Ma- yeah, exactly. Making sure you're, you're tracking everything in your systems and that's yeah. where, you know, you come in making you, sure. Yeah, you, uh, you need the emails to actually like log in a system to do those things. Ex- so I want to point that out. That's, that's super important. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then making sure you're spending time actually looking at, at your results. Yeah, totally. All right. So Jonathan, same, same question. What would be additional things that you would say you would tell somebody in that scenario? Yeah. So I think the day of going to the steakhouse and talking some way into, into something <laughs> is a thing of the past. So. I feel like you've been waiting to use that example for 37 <laughs> minutes since we started recording this podcast. You were like, I'm going to drop the steakhouse bomb in there and they're going to love it. <laughs> I think you don't want steaks rep, anymore. I mean, I do want steaks. So if you're going to take me out, that's fine. But, <laughs> but I think technology has just transformed everything. So a sales rep will be so much better off having a deep understanding of the technology they're using and the technology available at their fingertips, whether that be through social direct mail, Salesforce, whatever CRM they're using, being able to leverage marketing automation and understanding how you can have your marketing team help you blast out a bunch of emails on behalf of you coming from you on a safe IP, things like that. So I think just having an understanding of of all that's available to you and understanding the technology that you can use to do your job is so totally. much more important now. And, and if you're the person building your cold outbound muscle for the first time, your job here, by the way, what, what Jonathan is saying is ensure that the team has the proper tech set up, ensure that they have mm. the tools they need to actually do the thing, right? It's not just that the team yep. has to train on them. If you're building from scratch, you need to go buy these things. Like you, you can't mm-hmm. have a cold outbound team without some tools to support them. Yep. Know, otherwise it, it just won't work. There's no point. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. I actually, so this, this is, this is interesting. I had every single one of those listed actually. Oh, that, that was my full list. You guys covered the whole thing except, <laughs> except for, except for one thing at the end, which is scrap everything above list build and have them hit the phones. Cause at the end of the day, <laughs> what happens when you're building an outbound muscle is, is people worry about all these things and worry about all these things. And you spend three weeks worrying about it and you haven't made any phone calls. Totally. And, and you yes. need to, at the end of the day, just put on your pants Go to work, make some phone calls like that. That's yep. that's the end of the day how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I remember when I was when I was starting out. My first day, my first day as an SDR, I had to make calls. My very yeah. first freaking day. Yeah, they so want I, you to, I mean, you, Yeah, you should. It, it's you a good have way to get to, used like, to it right away. Yeah, yeah. The longer you wait, the 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 worse it's going to be. So so this will probably like sort of ruin a thing that we do at Ring DNA that, that uh, I don't think people <laughs> know when they know about. But what, when our SDRs start at Ring DNA, they get a list of like, hey, cold call these, leave fake voicemails, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Like the sixth number on the list is actually my cell phone number. 
and they cold call mm. and I answer and it's their first day. And I'm like, hey, this is Jordan from Ringgit A. And they have to try to sell me on their first day. And it totally catches them off guard because they're expecting to do voicemails, right? <laughs> oh, I love and, that. And, and it was amazing. That. Yeah. And some of them, like, we just had one. Like, she she was like, oh, like, Jordan, I didn't expect you to answer, but super glad you did. You have five minutes to talk about Ring. I was like, holy shit. Like, sell me. Like, get me. You're on. Let's do this, right? Like, it's awesome. And I love it because it's, it's such a cool way to, like, just throw into the fire. And, and by the way, you need those reps. You need to fail in order to get comfortable doing it. Exactly. That's a part of the process. Yeah, it also, the, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was going to say one of the most valuable things for me was running through a script and having my manager listening to me going through the script and botching it. And I was like, I don't want to botch that again. So yeah. <laughs> when you have that third party listening in, like you, you tend to step your game up. Right. And that's, that segues new piece that I, I think is super important. If you're just starting cold op out, or even if you're doing it for a long time, a thousand percent, you need a tool that you can listen into calls or review them afterwards so that you can coach against them. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if people are practicing imperfectly, that makes imperfect permanent. That is that is the reality, right? You need to coach in real time as reps are learning how to do this because that muscle is going to it needs to be developed just like anything else. And if you're not giving that feedback and you don't have the capability to, they're not going to get better. They're just not like not really. They might slowly. Right. Yeah. And they're not they're probably going to burn out, too, because they're not going to see like any benefit. They're just like, oh, it's the same result. I'm not getting anything anywhere with this. I'm just tired of banging my head against the wall. Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Any other last thoughts on cold outbound before we segue into the final segment that we always do? Man, I I do think. Yeah, no, I I think it's all about. Yeah. For for me, it it always goes back to personalization and relevance, personalization, relevance and timing. Like Mm -hmm. if you get those three right then then you're golden um like you you don't have to send these super fancy vip kits to people from sendoso right like we Mm -hmm. yeah here's a story we whoa whoa uh, whoa. unless unless you're prospecting me then you do and then yeah i'll take those for sure absolutely do yeah (laughs) i require steak yeah (laughs) jonathan would take steak if it's if it's if it's if it's if it's not fancy vip i'm I'm ignoring it is what's happening (laughs) so uh, but we, we we had one SDR at Engageo who was who was really great at going in onto their social, digging in, finding what they liked, and we had a lot of examples of him. Just like one guy was really into stress balls, so we ran, went on to Amazon, <laughs> bought five stress balls for seven dollars, sent it to him. He took the meeting. Five stress, seven dollars for what? stress balls, and he took the who freaking needs meeting. Five stress. This, this, <laughs> You guys should Someone have taken a meeting. This guy, balls, this guy had way too much stress, man. Like, he didn't need another thing on his plate. Like, why, why are you you're just adding to like, this guy? Clearly needs some help. <laughs> Whoa. Um, no, but I, I, I think this is actually really an interesting conversation. And I think we left some high-level takeaways and things that people can do from action items. So any, anything else to add before I jump over to our last thing? Uh, well, okay, what, one thing that actually... Was in the uh, we talked about it early in the beginning. When when someone says no, I think the best thing you, you can do is try to stay top of mind without being annoying. So it's like mm-hmm. I did the, I, I stole that from from John Barrows, but I'm, I use it all the time now. So yeah. that's why that's why I think like for sure drop them into a nurture campaign. That's fine, but like connect with them on social, and then 
hopefully modern reps these days are active on social, saying intelligent, saying smart things, not pitching their product all the time. That way you come up on their feed, maybe they interact with you. That's how you stay top of mind with them. And then when they come back around, they're like, all right, I'm ready to buy you know, a conversation intelligence solution. Oh yeah, Jordan from Ring DNA. Mm-hmm. He's he's a smart guy. I like him. Let me let me talk to him again. He's he's a he's a cool guy. He puts out good content. He's I, smart. I, I like that. Him. Just keep going with the compliments. It's really, it's really helping me <laughs> right now. It's the best Friday ever. <laughs> no, no, but, but 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 to your to your point though, right? Like sort of V two of you've got a cold outbound going and you're you're working on this and you've launched the team, right? And they're making cold calls. V two of that is aligning it to marketing in a way that allows you, if somebody says no, to nurture them appropriately. To, to exactly. where, like, like John Barrow says, you're top of mind, but not annoying. By the way, if, you, if you're talking about sales and you say anything that's that's intelligent, like 70% of the time it originated from John Barrow. So you don't even have to cap it on it. <laughs> yeah. it's just, he just has been around in a legend for a long time. So this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Jonathan, any other last thoughts? No, I think this is a good one. All right, so then we're going to, as, as always, succinct, thank you. Um, we're, 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 moving, we're moving into this week on LinkedIn. Um, and this one's quite quite interesting. Totally off topic from sales uh, cold calling, which, which is kind of on brand for us. So uh, the question I got on LinkedIn it was, well, more a statement, but also sort of a question. I'm struggling with our ever-growing tech stack. It's causing fatigue with the endless implementations. How do you manage your tech stack and avoid tech stack fatigue, which was a new phrase for me and one that I really, really like. So that's that's the question. How do you avoid, how do you manage your tech stack and avoid tech stack fatigue? Anybody want to take a crack? That's a, that's a big question. That's a weighted one. But I think from, in my experience... Making sure you have the head the head count to support it is crucial. Um, Al- Alec, our producer, said easy, just slack Jonathan. So, <laughs> <laughs> or that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, I think anyways, go on. <laughs> the capacity is important for sure. Just having the right capacity and you know having someone like me who can do a lot. I don't like to do my own horn, but I can, I can play in a, but I'm I can going play in a lot of different tools. So you got to have some people who can kind of jump into different tools and learn quickly. And if you don't, just have enough support on those tools. Additionally, you need to make sure the integrations between your tools are not creating more work for you. So if, if you're buying tools that aren't talking together, there's so much more work that's going to be put on your plate mm-hmm. trying to make them do that. Right. It's part, part of avoiding tech stack fatigue is, is actually evaluating tools in a way that allows you to make sure that integrating them isn't going to be a consistent problem. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the Apple ecosystem model. And, you know, in some ways it's kind of annoying that like, you know, certain companies are just eating up all the other smaller companies and creating their ecosystem out of it. But at the same time, it does make life a lot easier if you get into one of those. Yeah. And, and if you really break it down, and this is this is the thing that I would do is say, say you're looking at two vendors and one of them has a built in integration or it actually lives within this system and it's $10,000 more and the other one's totally not integrated and you're going to have to use like Workato or Trade.io to do it and manage it very closely. That $10,000 is actually saving you money and time that you're going to spend managing that integration otherwise. So it's it's super important. And also you'll get fatigued of, of doing that, which is very important. So totally agree. Yeah. And if you don't have like a huge IT team or a huge data team, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, like we do at Ring Today, it's a huge data team. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, super, super valid points. Brandon, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think a lot of it goes, I don't think there's enough emphasis on, um, kind of like you said, the evaluation. A lot of people get promised a lot of things when they're getting sold to, and then they just throw it at you and like, okay, good luck. And you're like, wait, where, where's where's that pretty dashboard that I was promised that you showed me on day one? It's like, oh yeah, you got to figure that out. And here's all the documentation. And, uh, you know, five weeks later, you're like, you still don't have your dashboard. Or whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah, so, so I, I, yeah, exactly, and and that's why I think having just a great Mops and RevOps team to help you evaluate all your solutions, and I really do believe, like uh, Mops and RevOps should own the tech stack, mm. right? Even if Thousand even percent. if I'm right, like the the budget and the tech stack, just to make sure that everything can connect and and they are doing proper pilots in the beginning, and you're not roped into you know, a two-year deal that you're just screwed and you're not going to be able to use the technology because you didn't properly properly evaluate it at first. Mm-hmm. Like, you you have to get ops involved from the beginning when you're doing the evaluation. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. so important. And, and, and know exactly what you want, right? That's putting together um, your your RFI or whatever you want to call it and then making sure it lines up with exactly what they're delivering. Mm-hmm. Like totally. a lot of people are just like, all right, cool. What do you got? Show me what you got. Cool. That looks cool. All right. All right I'll buy it. Yeah, totally. A thousand percent. I have a, I have a question for Alec, our producer, if he's listening, what, when do we, <laughs> when do we think that this episode is going to be live? Like mid, mid to late August, I would guess. Let's see. Give, give him a second. See if he's listening. That sounds about right. All right. Mid to late August. So, so guys, I'm going to say something and in mid to late August, I'm probably going to get in trouble. Um, the <laughs> buy less technology. <laughs> Is the answer to this question, right? Like one, one, one of the like we're a tech company. You should buy technology, right? But one of the things that I've seen recently, and I think we saw it with marketing tech five years ago when there was all of a sudden five thousand marketing tech platforms, and now sales tech. There's a thousand. There's going to be five thousand in five years. Is that we are we have decided as an operations unit that we're going to solve problems with technology. Like, oh, here's a problem. Like, what technology can we buy to solve it? That's not always the right answer. It, 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 no, it, it just no. isn't. And, and when, you, when somebody comes to you and says, like, hey, can we buy this tool? We're having this problem. The conversation isn't like, yeah, I'll start evaluating vendors. No, the conversation is let me understand the problem internally first. Like, what is this causing? How is it impacting us? Do we really need a tool to solve this? Or can we solve this without that right now? Because maybe yeah. we can, and a lot of times you probably can, and that's going to help you Im- Im- implement less technologies and avoid tech stack fatigue. And a lot of o- larger organizations will end up standing up tools that are already existing in the, in right. the organization. Right, totally. So yes. you end up with like duplicative reporting tools and duplicative yeah. all kind of things. So yeah, you've got to avoid that. Yeah, totally. And and if you don't ask those questions, by the way, if you're not asking like what are the problem, what's the actual problem we're trying to solve, you you almost need to do discovery with the people that want the tool internally, right? And in yep. order, be, and, and it's not just to determine whether or not you buy it. It's that so that when you are evaluating tools, you can actually decide if it solves the problem that the team has brought to you. Because that's the other piece is they might say like, oh, we need we need to buy this tool, and you're like, great, and you go buy that tool, and then that tool doesn't solve the problem, and you never knew what the problem was, mm-hmm. and, and and that's a huge problem, and that happens all the time too, like way more than it should. It should never happen, by the way, but it it does, it absolutely <laughs> does. That's yeah, that's such a good point. Like it, yeah. Your, your tool has to fit your process and your strategy. Like yeah. it, it does not cover up a broken process or a broken strategy. And a lot of people want tools to do that. That's just not mm-hmm. the right answer. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, this is broken. We need to buy more things. No, 
that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, man, we're going to get in trouble for this. Mostly me. But, I'd, love, but, uh, I'd, love that, I'd love it if that person would give us their tech stack and let us know what they got. I'm I know. Very I, curious. I, I have to send. So typically with these things, what happens is they, they message me these questions. And I actually wait to have this conversation with you guys. And then afterwards, I sort of formulate a response and send it to them. Um, just mm-hmm. just because I think that gives them a more value. take response. our smart words. I, yeah. Then, I, I, well, yeah, it, when, okay. when you say I take your smart words, then I, I you know that I don't use your exact language because I don't <laughs> use that level of vocabulary, oh, okay. Mister yeah, Smart, okay. <laughs> Mister Smart Words over here. I got he's some smart He's gonna drop some smart bombs on him. <laughs> 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 but, but anyways, I've got super good advice, guys. This has been a really, really awesome episode. Thank you for sort of humoring me through the sales outbound. Brandon, I'll let you get back to your underwater basket weaving. And, uh, no, thank you. Thank and, you. Yeah, I, know, I know it's super near and dear to you. Jonathan, we didn't hear any children, so you know, thank you for, for muffling that background noise. <laughs> <guys. laughs> awesome. Children and, are and, safe. and everybody who's listening, of course, send us all of your questions via LinkedIn, email, cold call me, whatever. Cold call Brandon specifically. We'll put his number in the links. It's totally fine. <laughs> Um, and and uh, yeah, contact us, follow us on LinkedIn, and, and send us your questions so we can talk about next week. Thanks, All right, guys. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you later. Thank you.